Hello and welcome to INV Unfiltered, the podcast on what's new and intriguing in fintech. This podcast comes from INV Fintech, the fintech accelerator run in partnership with Fiserv, the global banking technology company, and several banks, including U.S. Bank. My name is JJ Hornblass. Uh, pleased to be uh, your host, and I'm a principal of INV Fintech. You can learn more about the accelerator at invfintech.com. Our goal here uh, is to welcome enlightened and thought-provoking guests, and we're pleased to have uh, Piers Crosby, the Director of Business Development for StockTwits, um, with us today. Uh, as always, episodes of INV Unfiltered uh, are posted at invunfiltered.com, and I always welcome uh, comments and uh, communications from you. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at the handle Hornblast, and you can also find me actually now on StockTwits at that same handle. Um, so uh, without further ado, uh, please allow me to uh, introduce uh, Piers. Piers, welcome. Um, we are, uh, Pierce, uh, is, um, uh, has been, uh, with StockTwits, um, since, uh, 2014, um, and is, and runs, uh, the, uh, partnership and business development operations there. Uh, he also mentors, uh, startups through, uh, the fintech sandbox, uh, startup bootcamp, and IMV fintech ecosystems. Uh, previously, he was the head of research for Reuters Breaking News, which offers great market insights, uh, and was uh, started uh, and one of the start the founding uh, partners is a good friend of mine, Rob Cox. Uh, he received a bachelor's degree from uh, the University of California, Santa Cruz. And most importantly, he received a master's from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism, which is my alma mater as well. So it's good to have a fellow J School alum on the program. Pierce, welcome. That's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea that, that you were also an alum, but... Uh... The network is is large, and uh, yeah, some of the greatest people that I know happen to be alums as well. Just just enjoyed my 25th anniversary, which was <laughs> uh, quite the trip. Uh, but you know, great to great to get back there. Always we good were, to get back. We were, the, uh, we were the centennial class, I guess, the hundredth year of the journalism school. So, right speaks to the kind of brevity and and I guess yeah, breadth of uh, students that have attended over over the past. 104 years now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, some of my fine, uh, my greatest memories are there. So yeah. I, I have five members. Okay. Enough about the J school. So stock to it. Let's start with stock twits. Okay. Sure. Pierce, um, founded in 2008, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, just a, a, a ancient by fintech standards, I guess. Um, and uh, is, is uh, among other reasons, you know, greatly well known for inventing the um, dollar ticker tag uh, for Twitter and um, uh, been around for a, a while. Give us an update. What's what's yeah. what's happening at what's happening at stock stock yeah. today? 
Yeah, I mean, so uh, founded in 2000, late 2008, I mean, early 2009, you know, really took off in about 2011, 2012. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of outset of the platform was to pull in Twitter conversation. This is when Twitter's API was an open API. Um, so uh, basically, we pulled in Twitter conversation and categorized it by ticker. So um, if you were talking about Tesla, you would use the dollar sign and then type TSLA um, or dollar sign AAPL for Apple, etc. And um, it kind of took off like wildfire. People really liked the idea of more structured conversation around um, assets. And, you know, pre-IPO, uh, Twitter got much more aggressive on how they, you know, do partnerships on the API side. And so, you know, we decided in, in late 2012, this is obviously before I joined, but this is the story. And, um, we decided to pull the plug for that API, and that was the kind of the big moment of transition where the we went from being a Twitter application to a standalone social network, and uh, and yeah, it was kind of a, a pivotal point, and we finally, I guess, uh, have managed to survive that uh, that downtrend, and now we're now we're up to uh, about 1.2 million uh, traders and investors. Um, so today, the, the platform is primarily still focused on um, people talking about equities. Um, so, you know, any public stock that you can think of, chances are uh, we have a basket of users on the platform who are chatting all day, every day about, you know, everything from news releases to technical trading patterns to, you know, new product releases. Um, you know, I just over the past few days, we've been talking about Blue Apron a lot just because, uh, you know, they just IPO'd. And then within a matter of, uh, well, within two weeks, you know, they're they're basically 50% below their IPO price. So so we're basically the conduit for that conversation. And, uh, and yeah, we're growing as the market grows. I mean, it's crazy that, you know, we're founded in the depths of the financial crisis. And, and since then, we've been on a massive bull market. And and our audience is is basically symptomatic of that. So uh, we continue to grow as the market continues to grow, and uh, yeah, so we're we're quickly and, and steadily becoming, I guess, the the biggest social network for investors and traders. There is trading that can be facilitated through the platform. Yeah, we um, we actually launched a partnership last year with uh, a company called TradeIt, and um, they, their job is to basically build the pipes between brokerages and front-end applications. Um, so more or less, you know, they have APIs that connect directly to the backs of, you know, Charles Schwab, TD, uh, TradeStation, uh, Fidelity, et cetera. Um, and they deal with these kind of, a lot of these APIs that are written in, you know, Objective-C or um, some version of, of really old code. Um, so they do the grunt work of actually managing those APIs for their very uh, specific purpose of making them really simple to plug into for for kind of a, a new tech company. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a great partner. And now, um, yeah, from our applications, uh, people trade, you know, more or less uh, whatever they're trading, they just trade through the application. So you can imagine something like uh, Twitter where people are scrolling through all these comments and then, they see something they really like, um, and more or less they can execute, you know, directly from that idea. Um, so in that sense, it creates this kind of, uh, I guess, you know, more or less people are trading together and then sharing their trades and then 
trading together off the shared trades. Uh, it's kind of a virtuous cycle. And how, since you've added that functionality, mm-hmm. how's the volume been? What have you, what have you seen? Yeah, I mean, um, it's actually it's pretty crazy. Like we, our first partnership on the trading side was with Robinhood. Um, our founder happens to be an early investor in Robinhood, so we've had great connections with them uh, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, that was really a big test for us to figure out whether or not people would actually commit to doing trading in in a social app um, and then actually sharing them. So uh, so we connected Robinhood and we connected trade or trade it and. Uh, yeah, in total, we've we've aggregated close to five hundred million in in assets. Um, so more or less, what that means is we have five hundred million in connected accounts to the platform. So it's uh, I guess it's no small number, really, if you think about it. Um, and really, we've only, I mean, we've only saturated a very small subsection of our network. So we think over the next three to five years, if everybody actually connects their accounts. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll basically, you know, be watching and, and seeing people trade, uh, you know, in the millions of dollars on a daily basis. Now you have a, there's a beta version to uh, the site right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to give us the background on that? Uh, when did that launch and, you know, what are your expectations for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that's been really interesting in the life cycle of StockTwits is that... You know, the majority of our users are ones who really understand trading and really know um, what to trade, how they trade. You know, they have very specific theses as far as, you know, if we have momentum traders, they, they, they're they very, you know, news-based and they're very interested in kind of real-time chatter and real-time updates. But we also have groups of fundamental traders who trade weekly or even monthly. We have groups of technical traders who only trade off charts. and. Um, we realized that you know what we need to do is actually kind of work, uh, I guess, upstream a little bit, where people might not know how to start trading or where to get started. And we happen to have this fantastic network that can teach people how to really trade. So um, what we're doing is we're creating we're creating a couple of things, but but primarily we're building an editorial layer. So we actually have um, people that are actually writing commentary around the conversations that are happening on StockTwits. Um, and we're trying to kind of introduce people to trading. So maybe you don't know specifically how you would consider trading a basket of securities. Um, and we're going to kind of build that roadmap for you so that, you know, more or less you can come for the platform. Uh, you can be, you know, straight out of school, have no idea how to start trading and, uh, and more or less, we can give you a roadmap as to different ways you should go about it. And then as you know, we've kind of got to, right, with these traded partnerships and the Robinhood partnership, um, we can now actually have the people commit those trades as well. So really, it's kind of the life cycle. Um, and I think that I think that it's, you know, kind of where we really see our value is being that kind of, you know, one-stop shop for, for everything in regards to your trading and investing. And, and I mean, that's how I always envisioned the company. I mean, I, when I I joined StockTwits in about 2010, while I was still in college and I was trading from my dorm room, um, and it was a great network to watch real traders who've been doing it for 20 plus years um, trading every day. Um, but again, it, it was also a great learning experience because I had people that I could just talk to all day, every day um, and ask them questions and 
kind of learn from them, but we haven't really built a structure around that. It's just really kind of like a dynamic place that you can go and ask questions. So we think it'll be much more valuable to, to people who are just learning to get started. Um, you can basically, you know, help them in understanding exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, more or less like how you would even go about, you know, buying a, a call spread or, you know, like how do you sell puts for um, certain equities or how do you trade volatility or something like that? And you would you're you're looking to exact um, economics off that just on on the trade or in other ways? Yeah, no, we we actually we didn't we don't have any interest um, to you know extract uh, uh, revenues from the from the trading side. Um, our primary business is uh, the advertising business. So um, for us, it's really all about uh, people actually maintaining an interest in the application. Um, cause more or less, you know, if you work with, uh, you know, all the top brokerages on the advertising side, they're very interested in developing new accounts. Um, and we're very happy to more or less facilitate the network that allows you to connect to the brokerages anyways. Um, so they, they, they are the primi the primary source of, of revenue for us. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple, straightforward business. I mean, you know, we happen to be a, a vertical that's focused on financial services. So um, when it comes to working with banks, um, when it comes to working with, uh, yeah, brokerages, uh, ETF providers, anything like that, um, the explanation of our site is is relatively simple. Um, you know, I more or less could say, you know, we're the only social network for investors and traders and I, I could just walk out of the room and meeting be done. It's, it's really not that, that hard of a... It's not like we're reinventing the wheel. We're just making a very small vertical network. You know, it struck me as I was, you know, preparing uh, for this, that this sort of segmented, specialized Twitter dynamic yeah. could have other applications to other sectors, oh, yeah. oh. Uh, even within financial services. But others, I mean, does that, have you guys thought about this? Does this, or is this just, you know, it's just way beyond the day-to-day yeah. -day focus yeah. that you guys have. Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy because, you know, we're still a small team. We're only in the low 20s, which is pretty wild because, you know, compared to our network, um, you know, we're, we're more or less just a platform provider. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we really don't have a ton of, um, I guess, bandwidth when it comes to new initiatives. We really focus on doing one thing really well. Um, that said, like, you know, almost... Almost once a week, like no doubt, somebody will come to us and say, "This is a fantastic concept. What do you guys think about applying this to uh, the Turkish markets?" Or, uh, "This is a fantastic concept. What do you guys think about applying this to sports betting?" Um, and we happen to have uh, partners in all sorts of you know different um, parts of the, the fintech universe, as well as um, you know overall brand partnerships. People like ESPN that are very interested in the concept of how do we use this uh, verticalized focus network and apply it to our own uh, genre of whatever. The other one that people have been really interested in is music where, um, and I think Rap Genius has kind of addressed this really well where, you know, more or less what they want to do is, is allow the users to be the ones who are, you know, generating the majority of the content. Um, 
and it's it makes it makes a lot of sense for them to um, to go out and, and actually source information from their from their power users rather than having an editorially driven site instead. And, and so I think that people see kind of our infrastructure as a great way to uh, to do that. Um, that said, we're not in the business of licensing or white labeling out our our software because there's a lot of a lot of proprietary elements. And and to be honest, you know, as I said we got a lot more stuff on our plate that, that makes a lot more sense. It's, you know, one of the, the data points that StockTwits extracts is message volume as an indicator. Mm -hmm. um, and you didn't mention the data side as, as, uh, as necessarily a, a, a either a, a part of the revenue stream or a major part of the revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of fintechs, they, there is a, and a hope or expectation that uh, data generated uh, from an application has greater utility beyond just that particular application. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the sense from from your side as to the the value of the data generated through um, usage of the platform and kind of even broadly Pierce? Mm -hmm. Is it are, are are fintechs overestimating uh, the value uh, of the data that um, is being generated? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I think that uh, you know to take the latter question first. Um, almost every fintech company that that comes and talks to me, and and like I said, I do advise like a handful of companies um, who have very specific products that. I think have market fit either on the enterprise side or on the consumer side. Um, a lot of the consumer facing companies always think that we have to have a strategy around our data. How else are we productizing this? How else can we, this be used downstream um, that uh, that allow us to gain some revenue to more or less fund our core operation? Um, for us today, you know, data really only accounts for about twenty five um, percent of our revenue. Which is not insignificant. Um, it definitely does pay for itself as a business, but um, but as far as actually being a scalable standalone business, it's uh, it's very hard to devote yourself to a B two B type product versus um, a B two C product. And and I think that we you know because we're a social network, we're inherently targeting B two C. And I think that. You know, that's really where um, the majority of the, the growth in the future comes from. We do happen to have, you know, like a fantastic network of people who are generating hundreds of thousands of trading ideas per day. So when you're thinking about that data um, and as it applies to different segments of the financial services sector, let alone the, the actual um, the IR and PR sector of working with large corporates, um, you know, there are a lot of applications there. And um, so we've worked with, um, you know, banks, uh, asset management um, to kind of think about how they can go about modeling this data and making it into something much more actionable than just the raw chatter. Um, and yeah, it's, it's worked quite well. Um, on top of that, what's really interesting is that a lot of the service providers, um, you know, if you're a trading software, or an analytics company, uh, I think people have come to realize that they just need access to this conversation as part of their overall uh, product offering. So, you know, we have large partnerships with people like 
Thomson Reuters, you know, the alma mater, as well as uh, places like Bloomberg, uh, Interactive Brokers, uh, Schwab, Fidelity, etc. Because they want their users to actually have access to this chatter as well, because they realize that, you know, a lot of the things that they might not cover, um, our users are covering every day. And so that's been a great business as well as basically, um, you know, allowing them to further improve their product offering by syndicating out our conversation to a much broader audience. How are the prices, you know, or do you find, I mean, it's, you know, are, are you finding that uh, pricing for data is, is which direction is it moving? You think? Well, it's, yeah, pricing is always an interesting one. For us, it's a very fixed price. Um, and that's basically a big, it's kind of tough because we would love to be able to be more malleable with pricing. The thing is, is we have existing clients that have a very specific price and, you know, we can't do a disservice to them. So if a startup comes to me and says, hey, I'd really like to get all this data, um, it's usually a very tough conversation because at the end of the day, um, none of them have budgets to actually accommodate for for the licensing. Um, I would say in general, the, the pricing for us has stayed pretty constant. It's gone up slightly, but it, that's really because we've actually done productizing on our side um, to actually improve the core value of the product. Um, you know, when we started out in the data business, and this is kind of what I started when I joined from Reuters, because obviously knowing full well, Reuters is moneymaker is not the news business, it's the data business. So, you know, that was my intuition in, in coming to Sockwitz was we have to build something that, that addresses this. And, uh, and so since then, you know, we obviously don't really license out raw data anymore. We're much more focused on licensing derived products. So, um, if you come to us and you're looking for, you know, one thing you mentioned was message volume, but another big area that we've seen a lot of interest is sentiment overall. So we actually do the natural language processing in house. We create um, more or less sentiment signals, and then we license out those those raw signals. And uh, you know, if you're a small asset manager, you probably don't understand what raw message text really is. And that's that's generally a trend we've seen in the industry is that you know anybody on the financial services side really would love to use data, but you know their their capabilities are are so poor and. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's why, you know, these new fintech startups have been doing really well is because it's much easier to license, uh, whether it's a SaaS business or whether it's, um, you know, a different uh, enterprise product. Um, in the same respect, when it comes to data capabilities, um, most most asset management is 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 definitely a couple years behind. I could say that you know, confidently. And so, um, so now that we're deriving scores and signals, uh, we're giving them a much more consolidated product, a simpler product, um, and maybe they lose a little bit of that value, but at the same time, it cuts down the workload by about 80%, which I think is, is kind of what everybody's looking for, is kind of the easy way to get started. And um, yeah, so it's definitely helped improve um, the value prop uh, and still maintain the, the exact same price. <laughs> Just overall, uh, in terms of investing, it, startups focused, fintech startups focused yeah. on, on the investing side. Uh, I mean, what's your feel on how robust the market is? I mean, how is there is there good energy there? Has it has it waned to some degree? Uh, I mean, what what's your what's your what's your sense? 
Um, I mean, so, you know, philosophically, there's really two frames of mind for this. I mean, uh, the, you know, every single Bloomberg article that you read now is about how, you know, passive is eating the world and how ETFs are basically accounting for a majority of, of equities uh, overall. And so passive is really in. And that's, I think, why you see the betterments of the world. Um, you know, really take off and how many different derivatives of Betterment have we seen in the past three years even. I think that, you know, Stash just went out and raised something like 40 million the other day. Um, and they've only been around for two years. Um, so I think that that's definitely a trend, but, but we're kind of, uh, we're definitely the ones that are, I guess the, I guess the, yeah, just like the less intuitive, uh, side of that trade, which is um, the contrarians, where we really do have uh, this blossoming um, network of people that are very active and active management and active investing um, and building products around that. And uh, I think you know, what's interesting is that the turnover for this side of the business versus the passive side is much higher. But, um, but I, I really do think that, um, you know, generally, if you have a you know, an eight-year bull market, people are just tired of sitting on the sidelines because they realize that there are tons of ways to do way better than your, you know, Roth IRA is going to get you, going to do way better than the S&P is going to get you. Um, and it's not, it's not like rocket science. It's not like, you know, you have to sit in a, in a closet for 20 hours a day and do research. Um, people are, people are making, you know, really solid returns without doing a ton of work. And, and I think that's just kind of, I guess, pushing people into a place where more active management is a sustainable trend. And while it might not be a majority of your portfolio, people love to have just a little bit of exposure. And I think that, you know, Robinhood is the quintessential example of this. Um, you know, their average account size is so much smaller than, say, a traditional broker. But you just have thousands and thousands and thousands of new accounts because People, you know, while they're while they're not out there risking their entire portfolio, they wanna they wanna stay involved, they wanna stay exposed. And and I think that it's kind of a great thing because people really are now realizing that the cost of actually um, you know active management or the cost of actually doing uh, active investing is so much lower because you wiped out the commission structure. Um, you know, accessibility is way easier. Uh, so it, it, the only real impediment is just a matter of time. And uh, when you have a massive network of people that are doing this all day, every day, um, you know, we're trying to wipe that out as well. Uh, and yeah, I think that's why we have this kind of, I guess, growth in, in the interest on the, on the active management uh, space, you know, whether you're a fintech or whether you're an individual investor. Is the... Pierce, is this is is Robinhood the the major source of users for StockTwits? I mean, where do where do most of of StockTwits's users come from? Yeah, I mean, we actually it's kind of the reverse. Um, we've been a huge partner for Robinhood um, because we, I mean, our network is active traders that are you know trading you know daily, weekly. Um, so we've been a, a massive benefit, I guess, to their growth. Um, but no, it's reciprocal as well. Cause, you know, if you have a small account with Robinhood, um, and you're looking for coverage of companies that are not in the, you know, Russell 3000, 
you know, we're the ones who, co- I mean, on a monthly basis, we cover 9,700 securities. Um, so to think that, you know, people can just come to us and get access to free information um, is kind of a big differentiator. And I think that, yeah, so whether it's from a Robinhood or whether it's from a, you know, open folio, there's a lot of new um, companies that are, that are looking for more, I guess, information overall. And that's kind of been the, um, the reason for our growth. But we, we've never actually had a paid, paid uh, marketing budget or paid marketing campaign. All of our growth is organic. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, one, it's because of the social network, but, but two, it's because, you know, people just end up searching for, uh, Google stock, Apple stock, Amazon stock, Tesla stock, Facebook stock. And we rank probably number one or number two on almost every single quote page, um, or every single search page. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's really been how we get most of our, uh, growth. Do you think you'll ever do a, a marketing spend? Paid marketing? Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know. I think that what we so you know the the U.S. retail trader market, which is kind of the majority of what we focus our time on, it's about forty four million people. Um, and so, as a percentage of the U.S. population, it's actually pretty big. But you know, compared to you know someplace like Japan, Japan has a massive. Uh, I guess day trader, retail trader market. So does China. Um, so we've thought about like, you know, should we do paid marketing in, in foreign countries? Should we do paid marketing domestically? I think that the problem with that kind of high level number, the 44, 44 million in the US, um, you know, of that 44 million, you know, more than half uh, are above the ages of 55. And our audience, you know, averages between I mean, our largest demographics are 18 to 24 and 25 to 34. Um, those are also our fastest growing segments. So, you know, we have no interest in kind of uh, forcing the 55-year-old to learn how to do social media. Like, we realize that's just not going to work. So we would rather, you know, sit back and just wait as the, I guess, as kind of baby boomers, et cetera, um, kind of retire and move on that uh, the market that we're really working towards is is that, you know, the younger market that's actually really just learning how to invest and getting started. Finally, uh, just, you know, quickly, Pierce, tell me about the typical biz dev deals uh, you're working on and, you know, maybe what are, what are some of the resistance points that you face and how do you overcome them? Yeah. Um, so when I joined, I joined, joined as like an associate biz dev. Um, and it was basically just me and the CEO and the COO here in New York. Um, you know, since then we've hired. So now I have uh, a head of ad sales who works uh, with me. And I have, uh, we have a head of events now that works with me. And so my job is, is a lot of um, facilitating who's the best you know, person to connect uh, a client with. But, um, but no, I mean, on a daily basis, um, it really runs the gamut. I mean, we work with, uh, multinational corporations. We work with banks. We work with hedge funds. We work with, uh, analytics companies. And so, and I'll do all these on, on a single day. So, um, it's, uh, it's really a matter of being malleable as far as, you know, what conversations you're having. Um, I'd say that, you know, the biggest hurdle for us today is really just, matter of education. Um, a lot of people still don't understand that we were a completely free network. Uh, there's no cost and, uh, and people are sharing 
I mean, it's it's mesmerizing to people to think that our users basically share 150,000 trading ideas a day for free. We're not, I mean, they have no benefit personally. Um, you know, they're not gaining off this. They're doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing this because they really believe in investment. Um, and so conceptually is really the biggest challenge is like people just can't get over the fact that this is, this is real. Or this is actually happening all day, every day. Um, so that's the biggest hurdle is really just having those initial conversations and explaining, you know, this is how we do as a business. Um, once people get over that hump, as I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much a no brainer, but it is a big kind of hump to, to get over. So, I mean, my strategy for BD is really have the conversation early, um, with the, uh, with the overall kind of knowing that, um, they might not talk to you for three months afterwards. They might not get back in touch. And to be honest, as a, as a scrappy, like early stage company, um, you can't put all your eggs in, in kind of the hopes that, you know, this will totally change, uh, this one partnership will totally change the game. It's a, it's a matter of kind of, you know, more of a shotgun style approach where you saturate the market, you know, you understand that if you have, you know, 15 to 20 different conversations happening, out of those, you'll get one or two ones that will more or less be able to pull the trigger in a matter of weeks. Um, and then you're really just kind of, um, you know, recycling those partnerships that are, you know, slowly but steadily improving over time. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a long slog. So I think the biggest thing is definitely the conceptual one. And then, uh, yeah, besides that, it's just a matter of, you know, how big a deal we can actually build with partners because you know if we work with a bank there's 70 different ways that we can so it's a matter of getting buy-in from from all the different parts of the organization um but yeah that's pretty much the way we think about it all right pierce thanks a lot really appreciate you being with us and and thanks also to to Stocktwits uh, for being a part of inv fintech yep. we appreciate it a lot Thank, thanks again to Pierce uh, for being on this episode and uh, stay tuned to INVUnfiltered.com for more great podcasts. Until next time, keep innovating and keep it unfiltered.